Doc? John. I'd like you to meet a friend of mine, Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. I've heard that name somewhere. Don't know where, but it wasn't good. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm wicked ponderous exposition Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with consumptive sharpshooter Jeb Lund. Hello, Jeb. Ma'am. Today, today, I said today, we are <laughs> contemplating the interminable Wyatt Earp. <sighs> but before we do that, has either of us contemplated the Denisons since last we convened? I have not. I had to drive. I was in the car for like 16 hours and there was no way I was going to listen to anything that I did not want very much. That's that's kind of where I was with listening to things. That's so. that's a good rule. That's a good rule, I think. Um one of these days we're going to cross the minute Rubicon. <laughs> it's season 5. Yeah. Oh God! I we are we are coming up on it. I I feel not good about our chances, but uh, that's fine. Shall we get into? Shall we get into White Herb? All three hours and eleven glorious minutes. Man, getting into White Herb, I I don't make this analogy lightly. It feels a lot like getting into Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, you, it's it's real hard to it's real hard to get out. It's like are they you know. When's the gunfight? When's the gunfight? Oh, here's the gunfight. And that and then it's just over. Um I'm just gonna say this. My exit strategy is forty-five minutes. I've if nothing else from from this Vietnam, my exit strategy is forty-five minutes. I I mean, I, I think that's totally fair. I'm gonna give a brief plot summary <laughs> compared to the movie, of course. Even me talking for twenty <laughs> minutes is brief, but Here's what occurs in Wyatt Earp. Once upon a time, there was a Kevin Costner-shaped heap of corn pone in a waistcoat named Wyatt Earp. He got a lecture from Earp Sr. on family, which included his brothers, <laughs> Virgil Earp, or Verp, and a bunch of the lesser Earps. <clears throat> he married a simp named Ursula, knocked her up, and watched her die of typhoid, or boredom, while the manager from Major League also grieved. After, All right. After <laughs> every time a wife dies, we peel a section. <laughs> oh God. That that really would have helped. Now that I think about it, I'm glad I didn't have that like fanfic option in my head while I was watching the movie. After Wyatt Earp's drunken morning led to his stealing a horse in Arkansas, Earp went west where it was wild and invented sobriety, which was not. Neither were various jurisdictional squabbles with Jethro from NCIS, but eventually Camillus Quaid shows up. There's a gunfight. Erp finds some gold and dies. That I say, that I say. Uh... The end. The fact that this seemed to have been filmed in real time <laughs> was not something that uh, escaped the notice of contemporary reviewers. Before I delve into a few of those, Jeb, did I miss anything in the plot summary with the understanding that if I got into Kevin Costner's wigs in the early going, we would be here all fucking day? No, I don't. I think you covered pretty much his entire life. I, 
it's uh, it's all there. Um, no, you're good. Okay. Let's begin with a review, which I don't think was contemporary, but uh, I I found it really um, on point, so I put it at the top. It's Walter Chaw at Film Freak Central. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Kevin Costner, still a hot commodity, just four years removed from Dances with Wolves. Fresh from what might be the most important film of his career, A Perfect World, and not yet stigmatized by Waterworld, reteaming with his Silverado director Lawrence Kasdan, then one of the best genre writers in Hollywood, for a biopic of the famous lawman Wyatt Earp. Unfortunately, Wyatt Earp flopped like Kurt Rambis in the paint. Boom shakalaka! Cute. It was too long, too prosaic, and in what appears in retrospect to be a pathological lack of pretense, too pretentious by half. It was the first real nail in Costner's career coffin, a product of his having way too much power and way too little savvy in a cynical America that had outgrown his kind of aw shucks long about Gary Cooper. Costner's still shouting, but it's hard to hear him from all the way back there in 1940. He's on fire! I really couldn't agree more, honestly. Like, I've seen Tombstone and I've seen High Noon and ergo, this is completely... This is completely superfluous. Yeah. But let's move on to Rita Kempley, who uh, always has a nice low pH uh, to pair with our comments. This is from the middle of her review where she's talking about Dennis Quaid. The emaciated Quaid, who lost 40 pounds for the role of the tubercular existentialist, is perhaps the only actor who actually seems to be enjoying himself, let alone giving a bigger-than-life-size performance. Coughing up a lung with each entrance, Quaid doesn't just steal scenes as this Georgia-bred gunslinger, she's talking about Doc Holliday, in case you were just born, but manages to revitalize the audience with every caustically comic appearance. Considered a dangerous dandy by many, Doc became one of Wyatt's most loyal allies and was the only non-ERP to join the brothers in their shootout against the Clanton and McClary gangs. Many a director has stretched that moment into minutes and made it his film's sudden, bloody centerpiece, but Kasdan treats it as the real Wyatt himself is said to have. He shrugs it off. His staging is as impersonal as a drive-by shooting. It's the walk from the saloon to the corral that gets most of Kasdan's attention. The camera virtually caresses the heroes, hipless and haughty, in 19th century SWAT wear, who stride through Tombstone like fashion models on their way down a runway. And finally, Roger Ebert. It's obvious that the movie's intentions are serious. It doesn't want to be just one more retelling of the gunfight at the OK Corral. The subject is the whole lifespan of Wyatt Earp, but unfortunately the movie isn't able to make much of the parts we don't already know about. Earp lived a long time. He died in 1929, 48 years after the famous gunfight in Tombstone. But his moment of fame was brief, and we are no more interested in Wyatt Earp as an old man than in King Lear as a young one. And this is from Ebert's two-star review. Yeah, I, I can't really add to any of that. It's way too long. I Apparently, it was chopped down from a six-hour miniseries. Like, I mean, keep, keep chopping. But also, what? What did they cut? There was an interesting article linked off of Wikipedia that I went and I had to read, like, in cached images. And uh, it was an interview with Kurt Russell. Did you see this one? I didn't. Where he was basically talking about what went into making Tombstone. And evidently, like, this, this happened because Costner was attached to Tombstone, didn't like it because he thought it needed to be more about Wyatt Earp. Then there was the idea of it being a miniseries. And then because 
he had the clout. It was a movie. So I don't think it got hacked down from six because I don't think it ever fully expanded that far. I hope but, not. I can't I can't imagine that we didn't see any single incident in Herb's adult life yeah. as it is. I can't imagine what was left. We missed out on his like contracts class when he tried a little law and that was it. Like, yes. Yeah. That's a pity. But it, it was interesting reading like how Russell basically kind of personally pulled in the finances to rescue Tombstone and uh, wound up kind of ghost directing it and talking about what he left out. And, and he said that, so last night I watched Wyatt Earp and then I just immediately watched Tombstone after it. And you're like, oh, interesting. Like, oh, this scene is almost note for note, you know, or like the, the, uh, these lines of dialogue are the same. And like, maybe that's an historical resource speaking, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of like illustrative of how unimaginative Wyatt Earp is when trying to give you all this context. It just sort of took this, you know, not to use the word propulsive, but at least like more <laughs> kinetic and like intense, a well-paced script. And then we're like, well, what if we added Dross? And, and it seems yeah. like that was the, the process that happened with Wyatt Earp. But with Tombstone, like Kurt Russell was going, well, we needed to make more room for things. So I cut 20 minutes of Wyatt Earp because I wanted to give like a dimensionality to all the other characters surrounding him, figuring, hey, they're just as interesting as he is. And that was such a good decision because Wyatt Earp is an asshole. And I don't want to spend more time like, what were the, for, what's the origin story of this asshole? I just want Doc Holliday. That's all I need. Yeah. You're only there for one thing. Like, he's famous for one thing, and that's what you're there for. So get to the fucking corral. And, I mean, here's the sad thing to me about this movie. Aside from the fact that you have Costner as Wyatt Earp, who is just a pill, basically. A stubborn pill. And... Kostner is not known for having a sense of humor about himself, and certainly no cuts are going to be made that actually would make Wyatt Earp seem like he had maybe more of a personality. But this is, this is a, at times, breathtakingly shot movie. Like the first, Dennis Quaid doesn't show up for over an hour. An hour and 22 minutes, I think. Yeah, an hour and 22 minutes. <laughs> Um, (laughs) this hour had an hour and 22 minutes and (laughs) the energy immediately changes. So like, that's a shame. But then before that, when you're like learning about teenage Earp and his motivations and the role of the civil war and, you know, the Western lawman's blah, 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 blah. There's this one shot of, uh, young Earp and his dad played by Gene Hackman, (laughs) the, uh, heavy motif around here lately, where all you can see are their heads moving through fields as they're riding together back home. There are mm-hmm. a number of beautiful shots like that. Um, Kazdan respects the power of the land in this malicky way, but then the movie is so long and so turgid that the power of those images is lost. And I think this is the best Quaid performance we've talked about possibly and it's the only good thing in the movie yeah and i i liked um what's it's val kilmer's holiday also i like tombstone a lot it was it's a good movie but like this is this is a fascinating performance and it's in this like i just wish the movie were about him and big nose kate who is played by isabella rossellini seriously everybody is in this movie i think i saw myself 
as an extra yeah. in a bar scene. <laughs> Jesus is in this, in this movie. movie as a younger brother. You're like, is that Jesus? Yes, it, Jesus is running in toward the end. It's amazing. Yeah. There's Jesus. There's the manager from Major League. There's the lady from St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> there's I mean, Leone. Yeah, there's Sizemore, and then the Sizemore that you get when you can't get Sizemore, Michael Madsen. Madsen. <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, just two guys who, who totally don't fit at any point of the movie at all. And, and like, why are you, why do people keep hiring these guys when there are so many bus drivers? Yeah. Right? Like, you just, like, just go to a bus stop and wait. You can hire that guy. Really? And then Jeff Fahey, who I didn't recognize <laughs> until the end, who, oh boy, like, look, he, he shows up dressed to play. I'll give him that. His his eyes when he's trying to do like his intense mad thing are like those cat alarm clocks where the tail would be the uh, yes the eyes sort of going back left and right like wide open you're like tick tock yeah can you cheat your mark just a little bit we're not quite getting the full effect he is he is creepy looking and he made quite a career out of that good for him yeah I don't know this like the the whole premise of this movie I think you know seemed to be that Costner and Kasdan going now we love Wyatt we love him. But what if we made a movie about everything you don't know about? And then, like, that was the more powerful flex of, like, well, everybody knows the OK Corral, so we're going to downplay it. And here, you know, once you see this man, you'll, you'll, you'll fall in love with this rich tapestry. And it's, it's, a, it's like a fan mentality. And, and there's a point at which, like, I like this guy's story. Yes, it's interesting. But there are only three beats, and I don't need eight. Well, and the various love stories, like, it's tough. Plus, when um, Costner is trying to play young and do that, um, like, 19th century virgin merged with, like, Jason Priestley baby voice, that's not a great look. Good, <laughs> Good news, everybody. Yeah. There's also no Priestley in this movie. Yeah. There's well, that we know of. Hmm. Here's a clip, I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> I saw her three times back in 63. The third time she smiled at me just right. Uh-huh. I mean, he, here's the problem, and this was an issue with 128 Hours, I guess, and this was an issue with 310 to Yuma. Like, there are a lot of movies where the whole point of making the movie is the climax, like, to build a feature around that is not always advised like you you mm -hmm. understand why it was done and you understand why they couldn't stop doing it once they'd started but this is just one of those things where it's like there's not two hours here there's 84 minutes and even that yeah. is pushing it because it's a it's a shootout it probably took six minutes if that yeah yeah so ugh, i mean it's nice to look at, and if you aren't required to pay the kind of attention that we are alleged to <laughs> for, for the purposes of this podcast, I, I guess it's fine to have on if you like, you know, all the actors in one place. You're like, what's Adam Baldwin up to? Oh, there he is. Getting shot. Love to yeah. see that happen to Adam Baldwin. Yeah, that's, that's a damn shame. <laughs> when Baldwin's get shot. Um, but yeah, this, with the exception of Dennis Quaid's performance, which is possibly not as good as I think it is just because it's so much more interesting than anything else that's happening. Mm -hmm. This is a two for me. Yeah, I think I, I felt like it was more 
three, but still in that range of like, I'm getting just a couple of things out of this and I should be getting lots and like I'm, I'm hanging on for a couple performances or every now and again when the camera tracks to here and I get to go, wow, that looks nice. Yeah. What a Mesa. <laughs> it was so dull. I was just taking idiotic notes. I don't know. We really don't have any place officially for this. Uh, do you mind if I, I do a few of these? I, I do not. Please. Okay. Starting early, um, I noticed this, and I, it's probably tacky that I noticed this, but uh, Mayor Winningham's name appears on the screen at the exact same time as the uh, shot um, lingers on a horse. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> it just, I, and then like it's so, another name comes up and it cuts away to something else. And you're like, did you do that on purpose? And you're like, really? You know, anyway. Ouch. Um, Hackman's speech to the family where he lays out the theme of the movie. Uh. He also talks about the threats in the, uh, the West. He says, full of wild Indians and countless dangers. And it was just a real, like, America is a land of contrasts. <laughs> Bong. Teacher changes the slide. Yeah. When he, like, reaches out to summon Wyatt Earp, uh, Kevin Costner in his drunken slumbers when he's been incarcerated for his young wildness, it's really, like, Jacob Marley, what are you doing in my cell? Yes. <laughs> I, I was very surprised that we never realized that he was actually his ghost. Was he? Maybe he was. I, we weren't told he wasn't. Because he's in Arkansas when, when he's arrested, but his dad's supposed to be in San Francisco. Oh. I don't know. Maybe he was an apparition of fatherliness. Uh, we would love to hear a ruling from you guys, because certainly I'm not going to go back and watch it again. <laughs> yeah, no, no absolutely <laughs> Tweet not. at us at Quaid and Full Pod uh, about this or anything else. And actually, preferably anything else, because this movie's fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, this movie, like, I kind of give... There's a, one scene I, I've always just sort of disliked in Tombstone, and um, I forget about, and I'm reminded, and just watching them back to back, it, it really underlined it, is when uh, Kilmer's Doc Holliday fires a shotgun in the air to spook a horse so he can shoot the guy hiding behind it and the thing is like this is like 90 seconds into a firefight and the right. horse has been fine up until that point point. and i was like uh whereas this movie really does underline that in the old west shooting the horse is like the horse is like what if the whole car was made out of the tires right yeah because they, they shoot a lot of horses in this movie. They, I was actually, this was one of my only general notes, was to mention that in Westerns, not so much from the last 25 years, but like, I just have anxiety about the horses. Yeah. Watching Westerns, because we all read that book about Heaven's Gate, and it, yeah. just, it just makes me nervous. Like, they're actually very fragile creatures. Yeah. Please, yeah. please cut away from this part. And then you know, that one scene where there's like a stagecoach robbery in progress and he's like, shoot the horse. And I'm like, well, all right, that is a valid plan. Yeah, that's the first one. I mean, we get that within, you know, like 20 minutes. We're like, well, that's one horse. Yeah. And yeah. then we just keep getting horses. And but it really like tactically speaking, just like a horse horsebound pursuit is a lot easier to interdict. I guess you don't need like a spike strip for a horse. Yeah. Because it's pretty big. That would work, though. <laughs> yeah. Probably. At speed. <laughs> but uh, speaking of uh, large, not fragile animals, we get the, the bison hunting scene, which, like, thank you for letting me watch you skin the bison, by the way. But, like, Ugh. you know, it's just, you're, you're like Kevin Costner, like, keep fucking that bison, man. Like, I get it. 
But come on. And then just uh, they had this scene like, I'm going to force you to drink whiskey with me. Like the whole of the Old West is like just a frat party. Yeah. Like one or two breaks in terms of like chemical recreations go like, you know, one or two ways in a different way. And suddenly like, Sonny, you're not getting out of here unless I see you hit this bong. It's shaped like Princess Peach. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we might have to carve that off and keep it as a sound drop because that was uh that was wonderful. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Oh, speaking of sound drops, we got a just occasionally like the the James Newton Howard score is is oh. like do you get it? Do, do you get it? Like it's bad about that, but uh, it also like repeatedly sounds like uh, the theme when the Ark of the Covenant comes out. <laughs> you're right. Uh, well, uh, I'm going to take it, as it were, uh, into the Quaid Qua Quaid section. You'll see why when I play a clip three. What's wrong with that? <laughs> What's wrong with me? What have you got? I am dying of tuberculosis. <laughs> Everyone who knows me hates me. I sleep with the nastiest whore in Kansas. And every morning I wake up surprised. <laughs> surprised I have to spend another day in this pisshole world. Not everybody that knows you hates you. What were you fighting about this time? I don't recall. And like most times when Kate and I disagree, we set to killing each other. All of you can kiss my rebel dick. I mean, I don't know what you thought of this, uh, of the voice choices made by Dennis Quaid here. Mm. I I don't know why this Colonel Billy Bob Thornton Sanders situation works for me. He he did lose 40 pounds for the role, and I think uh, if they shot anywhere close to in order, by the end, I was a little bit afraid for him. He really looks like shit. Um, and they, like, roomed up his eyes. I, I mean, he is believable and really interesting in a, in a way that is not the usual Quadian interesting. Like, I, I'm not sure this is very Quady, but it's... It's really good. I really enjoyed the performance. What did you think? I actually went back and watched all of his major scenes today because I, you know, I, I felt like my mind was just not adhering to the movie <laughs> yeah, very yeah. well when I was watching last night. Very, and I, I felt very like, familiar with that sensation. And, you know, I felt like I was being unfair to him because I, you know, the, the Kilmer portrayal is just so iconic to me. And I was thinking actually mm. into like the fact that. I probably in six months couldn't tell you much about this movie, but if somebody just says the words, I'm your Huckleberry, <laughs> like uh-huh. there's just this flood of images, like directorial choices, like, you know, color scheming and just line deliveries that automatically rush in. And so I think I was measuring a little too hard against that because my initial response was like, man, if ever there was a chance to kind of be a rascal, in your normal rascally Quadian way, 
this would be the time to kind of bring that in as a light motif. And I think it's still there. But yeah. I was expecting more of the kind of wink of the Kilmer version. And so like on reflection, yeah, that that essence is still there. I think maybe a little bit more would up the Quaid rating. But it was I think he made interesting choices and he delivered them. He did what he was trying to do and it 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 made a, a good version of the Doc Holiday character and it worked within at least the context of the scenes he was in. I'm not sure about, you know, the rest of the uh marathon edifice. I'm not sure that this would work. Like, you know, I said before, I wish that the movie was about him and Kate. Um, I'm not sure that this would work as the centerpiece because it's like he has a lot of balls mo and then he coughs. Like he enters every scene coughing and then there's coughing in the middle of the scene and then there's coughing at the end. Just in mm. case you forgot that it was Doc Holliday. And it's like, who's that guy? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Like, okay, we, we got it. We understand what consumption is. But I thought that this was, given that I, I think a lot of the character brief for an actor playing Doc Holliday is that he is a somewhat affected character, this mm. felt very unaffected from Quaid, and I'm not sure how he pulled that off. Um, I have one more clip, and it's from a scene in which um, one of the, you know, erplets has been killed, I guess, or got shot. And I, I guess Wyatt is like, well, now it's time for me to drink. And uh, Doc Holliday <laughs> notices that an amateur is about to uh, plunge into this and comes over to the bar to help out his friend in clip four. Gentlemen, this game is losing its allure. I'm out. Don't mind if I do. <coughs> if you're gonna break the fast, the least you can do is invite a friend. Not in the mood for talking, Doc. You know how it is with me. You don't have to do much talking when I'm around. I think that because he is not the lead and mm. he is not relied on to be both like charming and give a sense of security and safety to the ladies and whatever else that it frees him up to to be whatever this is but again it's possible that by contrast with the um perdurit beige that is kevin costner <laughs> and look I've seen Field of Dreams a gazillion times and been to the cornfield. Like, Kevin Costner has done some things for my personal cultural history, and I enjoy the movie Fandango, and he's pretty good in that. Perfect World was pretty good. Yeah. But this, like, this era of Costner, and I think um, this was not long after that Madonna documentary showed him just being this in real life, <laughs> Kind of his, his little Lennon glasses. Like it, it's possible that Quaid's performance is really, it seems much more colorful and nuanced and interesting than it is because it's next to this office park carpeting in boots. But I really enjoyed it and I found it um, not admirable, but uh, I was very pleasantly surprised and impressed. That said, a number is tough. Do you have a number? Can I stall? 
while you talk. Yeah, well, hang on. I'll, I'll riff a little bit before I get to the number two. So um, the number, not the number two, our ratings are number <laughs> one, but the... <laughs> <laughs> this movie is number two. Ah! <laughs> hi Sorry. <laughs> Hooligans! No, you had to do it. You had to do it. I did. Yeah, Coster's like unctuous smarm to yes. like, you know, this this sort of like beatific, like, that's all right, I'll donate to your strife kind of mm-hmm. smile. Like, there's no way he can be compelling as really an outlaw. He's not even an outlaw as Robin Hood. And that it's like two outlaw roles. And you're like, yeah, he's essentially good. Yeah. He's essentially a good guy. Uh, but maybe this is sort of a reductive take or, or obvious given our focus in the, in this podcast but like quaid feels like the only person who fucks too like the, yeah. the doc character yeah. like yeah you know th- there's a like a whiff of the horny to him whereas everything everybody else just seems like they're doing this movie is like a field trip like mark Harmon is there he's actually his character in summer school this is like a deal he has to do it's like he can't be horny it's you know like the county won't let him yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and uh, i think after You've played Ted Bundy and done it pretty well. You're just happy to be invited anywhere. <laughs> Poor guy. So I don't know. Like, I, I feel like a 7.5. I don't know. It's, it's some of his best work, but I, I feel like it could have been every bit as, as good had he leaned a little bit more into his, his winks and smiles. Like, the one thing about the, the Doc Holliday character that seems to me to be at its core, at least across like the movies I've seen, is like he's he's a miserable man because he's going to die. So he's deciding to have as much fun as possible. Yeah. Agree. And he doesn't seem to be having that much fun. Like there could be a little bit more of that, the, the rascally wink, like, you know, yes, this is, we're all dancing just a a few steps away from Mr. Death. Mm. And it may not be that bad for us, but ain't it fun. I think Kilmer had more like hedonistic tone with this Mm -hmm. character. And this is a little more, nihilism than hedonism but i really don't have a problem with it and like from the minute we see him in his tiny teeny little 19th century sunglasses Mm. i was like this this could conceivably be a huge ham scented problem (laughs) but he controls i think that he understands his own quaintiness here and controls it to just the right degree the trouble is, it's in this movie, and since he's the only compelling thing about it, and he doesn't show up for an hour and 22 minutes, I got it marked down a bit, but I'm going to go eight. Pretty close. Yeah. To, yeah. All right. Same um, wavelength. That feels good. That's affirming. Yeah, I think so. Especially after, like, we've had some, we've had some weird ones <laughs> this season. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. We good? Yeah, thank you for letting me skin the bison. That's... <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Nothing counts as much as blood. Now, now that's going to be a euphemism, and I don't, don't <laughs> like it. <clears throat> Next time on Quaid and Full, we were in line to do Kidnapped, but it turns out that that may not even exist anymore, but it was remade as Switchback. But... That isn't until 97, so stay tuned for what will now be our season finale, something to talk about with guest Tari Ariano. 
In the meantime, sidle up to the bar for some coffee and check out the show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid and Full Pod. And get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid and Full. Quaid and Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? What are you, hopped up on laudanum balls? Go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid and Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. You've been a good friend of me, Doc. Shut up.